my name is Nell, and I have a confession to make. I hate ads. I really, really dislike ads a lot of the time. They're so obnoxious. They're ugly. They distract from what you're trying to find. And worse of all, they insult your intelligence. They treat you like an idiot most of the time. I really dislike that. And I know that a great many of you feel the same way, because about 25% of the population of Germany has installed an ad blocker. Now, the install base of ad blockers has basically gone exponential over the past couple of years. This is a trend which is quickly becoming a norm rather than just a trend. And in fact, it is eating into the profits of advertisements online, on both desktop and mobile, at a massively increasing rate. And it seems that, according to this current trend, within a few years, it'll be very difficult to get good ads through to people at all. Now, desktop was one thing, but now, since iOS 9.0, it's become very easy to deploy ad blockers to, uh, to your iPhone or iPad, for example. And as soon as this uh, version of the OS was released, there were immediately um, dozens of applications that came out, which everyone was downloading, in order to keep that stuff from, uh, from getting onto your mobile system. And it's not just, I don't want to look at ads, per se, but it's your data. It's the time it takes to download content, and also your battery life. You can also do more things. If you don't just want to streamline your experience, you can instead replace those ads with some lovely cats. Why not? <laughs> now, companies like Wired wanted to rebel. And they said, tell you what, we have a social contract, right? We provide some ads, and those ads support our content. And that is fair enough. But as soon as the uh, companies started to block the ad blockers, then, well, the ad blockers themselves had an anti-ad blocker. And we see that it's kind of like a tug of war or an ever tighter dogfight that goes nowhere. Nobody's going to win it. And even worse, beyond blocking of ads, ad fraud is increasing at a massive rate. Bots are getting smarter, they're finding better ways of screwing over advertisers and um, basically cheating them of, of the profits. Trust between consumers, between ad providers, content providers is at an all-time low, for most of us anyway. Now, my question is, this doesn't seem sustainable, and it doesn't seem happy. What can we do about that? How can we help to create a win-win situation where everybody's happy? A little anecdote. A year or two ago, I happened to be in a certain city at a certain time, and I had not much to do that evening, and I logged onto Facebook, and I got a notification saying that Jeff Wayne's concert version of the War of the Worlds was playing in that city that evening, even in my own neighborhood. Now, this is one of my favorite 
musical albums ever, and you can guess my response. I was absolutely delighted, and I would not have come across that wonderful experience if I hadn't been served that particular ad in that particular way at that specific moment. Relevant commerce is always welcome. When it's something you really want, it doesn't feel like an ad, right? It feels like somebody just came and made your day or gave you a pro tip that was actually very useful. Relevance matters. If you're trying to find information, is this a relevant channel to that information? Is this more relevant or less relevant than this channel? What do you reckon? Signal versus noise matters. Now, conversations are a good way of transmitting signal over noise. How many of you have heard of the Clue Train Manifesto? Quite a few. It's a wacky book. It's quite controversial. Um, some people swear by it, other people swear at it. But one of the most interesting premises right out of the start of the book is that markets are, in fact, conversations, right? They're conversations between multiple parties. And here's another axiomatic truth. Whoever is closest to the consumer, who's whispering in their ears, is the one that controls the conversation and has the majority of the power in whatever's going on in the world. For the longest time, in the desktop world, this was Google and Facebook, right? Those are the websites that a lot of people spend a lot of time doing purposeful things on. Even if it's just social media, it's still purposeful. You're trying to find out what your friends are doing or organize bowling night. In the mobile world, it's a little bit different. The, uh, the desktop champions are in some ways sidelined by mobile apps, particularly WeChat. And WeChat gets very much to the core of actually getting stuff done, right? Actually being able to um, conduct commerce on mobile uh, in a fast and easy way. And so there is a scramble among the big tech companies, of course, to bring out their bots, their chatbots, their messaging systems that, uh, that connect those chatbots to people, and, of course, the back-end AI platforms that provide all of the sense-making behind it. There are also platforms like Kik. You know, Kik is a way of um, other companies creating their own bot infrastructures within the, the broader platform. And more recently, we start to see things like Salesforce's Einstein, which is bringing out a commerce-focused bot ecosystem. And this is going to be a really big deal, these commerce-focused bots. Because we live in a world of infinite variety and possibility, particularly online. There is a very, very long tail of stuff that we can potentially buy, but there's so much of it that it's overwhelming, right? I'm sure many of you are familiar with the idea of the paradox of choice. To a certain degree, more choices are better, more choices are welcome, 
and then very quickly they become unwelcome because they're overwhelming. A typical adult human in our civilization makes about 35,000 decisions every day. That's a heck of a lot. Most of them are completely trivial things, like how long to brush your teeth for. Others are more important, more crucial, you know, whether to um, uh, take one direction or another in your career, that sort of thing. We are approaching an era where humans will be making less decisions about many things. And they'll be making more decisions, less decisions about trivial things and more important decisions about the things that actually matter. There is a new trend which is starting to emerge. It's called anticipatory design. It's when you have a series of curated experiences which are provided to people that they can come and enjoy, and they can switch off their brain. They don't need to think about you know, what they need to be doing for food that evening or where they're going to sleep or that sort of thing. You just show up and switch off and have fun. And we see these in things like uh, the Nest thermostat, which automatically takes care of the comfort in your home, or Spotify playlists, which automatically curate music that they know you're probably going to like, and so you don't really need to think about what's coming up next. With anticipatory design, we can create unique experiences for every person. And we don't need necessarily to um, send them surveys and questionnaires and dig in to what they really want. We can make educated guesses about it. And most of the time, we'll be right. Machines are now able to think creatively and to find interesting iterations, different versions of products. And even without expressing a yes or a no, simply by how we look at something, how we focus our gaze, a slight quickening of the pulse, machines are able to know what we really like and what we don't. And so machines are now able to anticipate our needs and in real time, create solutions to meet them. This extends to stuff like art and even very uh, human subjective things like taste. Companies like Knorr, for example, are working on creating taste experiences or ways of mapping people's unique sense of tastes and what they prefer in order to give them the ideal meal. Something just released in the last 24 hours or so is called Allo by Google. And it is a very powerful anticipatory design type system. It is able to help people to curate experiences without needing to think about them too much. And this is a taste of what is coming over the coming years. It is what I call conciliary commerce. Now, conciliary. How, how many of you have seen The Godfather? 
right? Right at the back, we have Tom Hagen. And Tom is the consigliere, the counselor, the advisor, the lawyer, the one who is making sure that everything isn't on fire and that everything is as it should be. Even within the, the structure of the, the familia, we see that at the top, the, the big boss, which is in, in, in the analogy is the person and the consigliere, the machine, are at an equal footing, right? The consigliere makes as many decisions as the big boss does. And this is, I think, a taste of the relationship that we are going to be developing with machines over the coming years. We will be deploying machines with a mission to go forth and find the most optimal ways for us to spend our resources, the ways that we can both uh, enjoy and explore the world in a way that makes the most of the resources that we have to play with. And what this means is that, in many ways, the product buyers are less likely to be human and more likely to be bots. And that means that appealing to bots, appealing to them to get them to buy something, may actually have more leverage than appealing to typical humans. This is a very different way of thinking about marketing, of thinking about selling to products. You're selling to machines instead of selling to humans. And it means that things like metadata, having appropriate tags around a product that help machines to understand what that product is, where it came from, what it can be used for, are going to be incredibly important in the coming years. This is how Allo or similar other bots are going to be able to understand which product to serve you at just the right moment. It also means that parity products, products which are pretty much indistinguishable, like bottled water or candles or that sort of thing, they are likely to consolidate. A lot of these brands, I believe, you won't see them so much in the years to come because the brands will mean much less to machines than they do to humans. And it's machines that matter. Things like the, the chemical content of the water, or its origin, or how moral the production of that resource is, are going to be what's much more important than the brand. It's a shift. It's a shift in commerce that we haven't seen for about 50 years. The last time it happened, it was being led by an American called Malcolm McLean, who started off being a trucker and sold his trucking business and immediately went into creating shipping containers. It was the ultimate innovation in markets and trade, because it led to about 40 times cost savings and 20 times increase in labor productivity. And it has enabled the globalized world. It has enabled trade between massive different continents on an incredibly large scale. 
all due to the innovations of Malcolm McLean. I think in our time, we are about to see something else of a similar scale with regards to global commerce. Take a look at this graph. It is a graph of how many people within the lower 48 US states are within 20 miles, about 30 kilometers or so, of an Amazon depot. That's a pretty exponential curve. Amazon is now deploying air freight, local drones, local trucks for logistical moving of goods. They are deploying the likes of Alexa for people to express their wishes to an AI that the AI can then interpret and go out and purchase on their behalf. And they very cleverly set up all of the back-end infrastructure to support this many years ago. They also are creating ways of capturing 3D data using mobile systems in order for machines to make sense of the world. If you give an intelligent thing some vision, it is able to interact with the world in such a stronger way. Walmart, meanwhile, has recently patented new technology which can enable shopping carts to be completely autonomous. They can wander around the store by themselves, picking up goods, taking it to the checkout, and loading it into a vehicle. You're not going to be going to the store very often in five years. You will have your consigliere and its own minions going forth and doing that for you. It means that trading is about to change. It means that we will see spatial and temporal shifts in activity, where trade is done, with whom, the speed of trade. And we're going to see the greatest effects far from the core industry. This will shake up every single sector beyond just logistics, beyond just AI. This is very much like the shipping container revolution, but in our own time. It also empowers our consigliere's to make economic decisions on our behalf. We can boycott companies we don't like, or we can preferentially trade with people of our own ethno-cultural backgrounds, or the people that vote the same way that we do. This means that you will not even see an opportunity to trade with somebody if they don't pattern fit with the people that you want to trade with. And this means that commercial power is going to decentralize in a major way. And we're going to see a lot of power of the crowd to make economic sanctions against people that the crowd decides it doesn't like. That's going to shake things up. But there is a proverb that only the wearer of the shoes knows how they pinch. So if machines are going to be making decisions that affect our lives and trying to delight and surprise us in ways that we don't need to think very much about, how are they going to understand us? How are they going to learn our preferences? Believe it or not, 
thoughts actually can see more aspects of ourselves, our true selves, than even some of our closest friends. They see the, the parts that we tend to hide from other people, the, the parts of when we're very frustrated, or when we're prejudiced, or when we just have a very bad day. Machines are able to see all of this stuff and put it into the wider context of understanding who we are. And they can begin to chart our personalities and compare across cultures, across time, to see how people change and mature, for example. And if you can analyze personalities, you can then create stratifications of people. In the book Down and Out in the Magic Kingdom, Cory Doctorow talks about something called wafis. And wafis are a way of giving respect to another person, and they become a kind of a currency in a post-scarcity world. Today in China, the rollout of the social credit system is in some ways quite similar to these wafis, in that people's credit worthiness is in some ways dependent on who they are connected with and the sorts of decisions that they make in their broader lives. Machines are watching us all of the time, in every place. Deep learning chips are becoming incredibly small and incredibly powerful. And it means that we can now deploy intelligence to any tiny little object almost anywhere. For example, Barbie dolls, right? Hello, Barbie. Barbie is now connected to the cloud and is now an intelligent device. For the elderly, comfort robots will also be providing a loving eye to, to watch over our, our loved ones and ensure that they take their medication, for example. How many of you have seen the movie Her, Spike Jones? Wonderful movie. You may recall at the end that the AI was talking with hundreds or thousands of different people, having these simultaneous conversations and relationships. And in many ways, this is how machines will experience the world, not just as individuals, but as societies and subcultures. And there is a new form of machine learning which is emerging, called Turing learning. And it's a way for machines to learn about the world by pretending. Just how children may pretend to be a mummy and to push the baby around or pretend to be a, a strong warrior or something like that, machines are also able to pretend to be human. And if they pretend long enough, they actually start to understand our behavior in a very strong way. There's no more any place for us to hide. They're too smart. They're too omniscient. They see all. And I actually think that's going to be okay. John Caples, the famous marketing copy editor, famously said, appeal to their self-interest. Appeal to things beyond the basics. Appeal to higher aspirations, right? Appeal to esteem of the individual. And that's what machines can do for us. There is an area of machine 
and human interaction called CAPTology. And CAPT stands for Computer Automated Persuasion Technology. It is a way for machines to be able to help us be better human beings, to help us to make better decisions, to have better habits, and to be happier. Now, there are extensions for things like Google Calendar, called Google Goals, which help you to build towards being a better future version of yourself. And this is something that machines are becoming eerily good at. This is an AI platform called Crystal. And Crystal is able to understand your personality, but also understand how to talk to you. Do you like it in bullet points, or do you like it in big, thick, full prose? Another example, Respondable. This is an email plugin from a company called Boomerang, which you can download today, and you can plug it into your email system. And it will help you to write emails and copy to other people that they are likely to accept. Not every message works for the same individual or for the same character. This kind of system can help us all to communicate with each other in ways that we can actually make sense of. Now, if you step this up a level, rather than just communicating with, between humans and mediating that, we can help to understand our inner selves. Here is Sim Sensei. Oh, my bad. I was going to Hi, show you. Hi, I'm Ellie. Thanks for coming in today. I was created to talk to people in a safe and secure environment. I'm not a therapist, but I'm here to learn about people and would love to learn about you. I'll ask a few questions to get us started. And please feel free to tell me anything. Your answers are totally confidential. The system is analyzing okay the user's face, the expressions, yes. whether they so, lean in, whether they lean today? out, the breathing, and of course well. the language used. That's good. Where Imagine if we could deploy an AI counselor to everyone on Earth. One of the greatest scourges of our modern society is loneliness, right? It's people not having the right person they can share their deepest feelings with. Now, technology is a way of making scarce things abundant, and I would like to see the scarce emotional closeness in our society become abundant as machines can help to guide us and make us happier human beings. But we want to do it in the right way. Remember this little fellow? Yes. Bit of a pain in the bum, old Clippy. But if Clippy was smarter, that would be bad, right? We don't want... We don't want a very smart Clippy who still has the same annoying, slightly creepy attitude. We want something better. We need to be able to build trust with machines, particularly because machines can have biases. For example, here, what is a professional hairstyle? This is a bias which has been built into the algorithm, and this is very problematic. Another problem. 
We have bots now which can call you up and which have recorded human lines, but the lines are actually chosen by machine, and they will lie to you and they will swear that they are a human being when they are not. We have machines that lie to us, that lie to the authorities about emissions and things like that as well. Naughty machines. And we have machines that sometimes get it wrong, in cheeky ways, <laughs> which are more forgivable, but still kind of annoying. This is a tough problem to crack. Turing himself said that if a machine is supposed to be intelligent, then it's going to make mistakes. This is just the way things are. For a long time to come, we will have bot curators, we will have human beings that work with machines in order to help guide them, in order to help smooth over some of the interactions. This is sometimes called human in the loop. And sometimes when you talk to your consigliere, you may actually be talking to a human rather than a machine. And we won't always know the difference. In the longer term, there are other options, machine ethics computational ethics, computable ethics. I am working with a few friends of mine on a project called OpenEth, and you can all go and take a look at it today, openeth.org. We are working on making ethics computable, making them understood by machines, and crowdsourcing a map, a chart, of the global space of ethics. Just as how we teach children about the right and wrong through nursery rhymes and little stories, the three little pigs and the bad, big bad wolf, we can teach machines in a similar way by talking about scenarios and variations on them. And that is how we build a happy partnership between you and I and our wonderful consigliers. Thank you. Thank you, Mel. Stay with me for a while. Okay, maybe some of you got what I tried to explain <laughs> with the intro. Um, I have a question for you. Uh -huh. When you say machines are watching us, it was like my, my inner alarm bell rang, like beep, 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 because I attend conferences, for example, like the Republica, and there are lots of people on stage who, if you say this sentence, they would like, jump off the, the seat and go screaming around uh, the venue and say, yeah, that's what I told you, this is bad, we have to stop it. And I believe that Cory Doctor is one of these people who would just warn you, don't overdo it, it's not so good. Um, so what would you say to these people? I'd say, okay, these, these kind of machines that watch us all the time, maybe abused, for example, by governments, by authoritarian governments, by repressive governments, or just by the BND, for example, mm. our uh, Nachrichtendienst, our secret service. Yes. I'm a very firm believer in cryptography and in cryptography for all. I think that blockchain technologies and uh, emerging cryptographic technologies like um, uh, homomorphic encryption are providing new ways of keeping things secret, but also providing transparency where it's needed, for example, in public ledgers. Uh, 
The NSA doesn't like that. No, they don't, <laughs> no. And I think that um, in, in the, the, the broader terms, that's probably going to make us a happier society. Uh, the more proliferated and open um, cryptocurrencies and uh, cryptographic technologies we have. But on the other hand, there's also the chance of this being abused. For example, terrorists using now uh, apps like Signal to uh, communicate in a cryptographic way. It's true. All technologies have a, uh, they're a dual-edged sword, and they can be swung in different ways for good and for bad. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, however, I think freedom is best preserved when privacy is respected and when people's choices, their personal desires, are respected. Okay. Is there any more question for Nell from the audience? Any thought on this? Well, I think um, what just come to my mind that now we have this NSA scandal and Mr. Snowden telling us all about what they're doing. We've seen this, these companies like Google, like Facebook, moving towards a cryptographic way of dealing with stuff. Do you believe that the companies dealing with AI and this consigliere you just uh, mentioned are going to move in the same way? I think it's very dangerous when a company can be subpoenaed and be forced to hand over all of its information and uh, not even be allowed to tell the world that this has happened. Mm -hmm, these gag orders. I think that is awful. Mm -hmm. I think one of the best ways is uh, a kind of a plausible deniability, whereby uh, companies don't even necessarily know the data that they have. They can't actually access it themselves. And I think that uh, having a distributed system of um, access to this data using blockchain is the best defense against this sort of problem. Okay, if you want to learn more about these topics, about artificial intelligence, you can go to Gaga Club this uh, afternoon. You're going to have a fireside chat with uh, Mark Mettling, Mart Mettingley Scott of IBM Watson. And I think this is going to be very insightful as well. Thank you, Nell, for being Thank here. You.